Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Word of God, brothers and sisters. Look, we appreciate you came out on New Year's Day. We had a great night last night. We've got an abbreviated service this morning. I want to talk to you about this passage. I want to talk to you a little bit about how we're going to go forward, and I want to share a couple of personal words with you as well. Let's talk about the passage first. That Jesus is in the middle in, in, in this passage of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever written. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of establishes the direction of his ministry, the foundations of the gospel. Uh, it's the first big sermon he delivers in the Bible. And he kind of goes to those people who are starting to listen to him and says, this is what this is all about. And oddly enough, he starts out with things like the Beatitudes and the law and that sort of thing. And he says, here's the foundation. Here's how we're going to live as Christians. And then he moves into this passage right here. And he follows up the foundations and the, the guidelines for living a Christian life with, with how to pray. So he turns to his followers and he, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't make a big show of it. Uh, be quiet. Go before the Lord and, you know, even as you go before the Lord in secret, understand that he already knows what you need. So I, I love that, that, that encouragement there that I don't have to inform God of all the details of how my day's going, and I don't have to inform God of the needs of all the people around me and say, God, you know that this person's been looking for a job for a long time. And he's already got that. He knows what we need. Don't confuse that with God knowing what we want. God does know what we want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that as we go before him with our wants that he's going to fulfill them. He's going to fulfill our needs. Don't heap up empty praises. Uh, pray then like this. And, and there's a format here. There's a template here. We don't have to follow this template word for word, but I've got to tell you something. It's not a bad template. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to pray this prayer on a daily basis if you understand what the prayer is about. And the thing I want you to notice, that it starts out with our Father. It is God-centric. It is God-focused. It's focused on our Father in heaven, a sovereign God who sits in authority over all things. Hallowed be your name. And it goes right from recognizing the Father and where he is to our reverence 
and our worship of him. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. This isn't a request. It's uh, the Greek word erchomai. God establish your kingdom here on earth as you have done in heaven. And it, it's, it's a, a, an evidence of participation, an evidence of, of yes, we want to see your presence manifested here. And it's going to happen through, through your people and, and maybe through me as well. And then there's this give us our day, that, give us this day our daily bread. Now, there is a spiritual connotation to the word bread here, and there is a physical connotation. So we have to understand the scope of the meaning of what's happening here. And I want you to notice a few things. The first few lines are centered on God and his holiness. And the only request that we have in here as far as, uh, as our personal needs, our personal desires, is to be fed daily. It's a request not to just be fed daily physically, but to be fed daily spiritually as well. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. A lot of words for debts in here, but generally what we're talking about is transgressions. Some of the, some of the translations say transgressions. Yeah, you can translate that as sin. Forgive as we forgive, as we forgive those who sin against us. I, I want to be very clear about this because right at the end, things get a little sticky when we look at this. So uh, we, we, we all know that, that in order to be saved, we have to repent. We have to turn towards Jesus Christ, recognize he's the only son of God, the only way to God. We confess our sins. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, believe in our heart that he's the only son of God that will have eternal life. That's salvation. Now, if you're a practical person, you understand that maybe there was a moment when you realized you were saved, but you haven't been quite perfect so far. <laughs> so we all have a tendency to sin. I know there are teachings out there that say that we don't, but Scripture is very clear that if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. So, so we have a tendency to sin after we're saved. And right here, God says, forgive those who sin against you so that you can be forgiven. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're not forgiving of somebody, you get kicked out of heaven. It doesn't mean that you get excluded from being saved. What it means is, and we, we've been, this has been a theme of what we've been teaching for quite some time, is, you know, the sin that we experience subsequent to our salvation will interfere with our communion with God. It will hinder our relationship with God. It doesn't end it, it hinders it. If you want examples, all you have to do is wander through the Old Testament. The, uh, once God chooses Abraham and says, you're going to be a leader of nations and you'll be the leader of my people, they are his people. They stumble every step of the way, but they never stop being his people. It's a template. It's an example of how God saves us. So when we sin subsequent to salvation, we are deciding to remove ourselves from the protection and provision and fullest blessing of God. We are not removing ourselves from heaven. Scott talked about a little bit earlier. God saves. We're safe in his hands. Nothing can snatch us from him. Nothing can separate us from his love. So we're deciding how much we're going to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God. So God says, if you want to be forgiven, forgive. Don't hold grudges against people. Don't hold debts against them. Don't, 
don't point your finger at them and say, well, I know what you did, and I'm not going to forgive you for it. And then lead us not into temptation, verse 13. It's not an accusation, not a caution that God might lead you into temptation. It's a request. Lord, lead me away from temptation might have been a better translation. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the, the evil one. Uh, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We talked about that. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, if, and, and the only thing I would just want you to bear in mind about that, if you're, if, you're, if you're bitter, if you're angry at somebody, if you can't forgive them, if what's going on in the back of your mind is, well, you don't know what they did to me. You, you don't know the pain I've been through. I can't forgive them. I've run out of patience. I've run out of grace. I've run out of all those things that God has told me to do, but I've got a good reason for it. It's okay. God's saying, you're not going to experience my fullest blessing unless you are forgiving as you have been forgiven. Unless you are a vessel of grace, you will not receive the grace that will bring you peace and joy in your walk. So, I want to talk to you about this daily bread thing. The Word of God, listen carefully, the Word of God is our daily bread. Okay? Write that down, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever you got to do, but bear in mind that the Word of God is our daily bread. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, follow me on this, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, later on, in chapter 6 of John, we see this. Jesus said to them, verse 35, we heard it earlier, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the word, and from John 1.1, Logos. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the bread of life. Okay? Anybody remember algebra? If A is equal to B and B is equal to C, what? A is equal to C. If Jesus is the word and Jesus is the bread, then the word is the bread. Keep this in mind. That's what we saw in Deuteronomy. John Sellers read it a little bit earlier. When we learn about the bread and its function in our life, Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quotes that. We heard that earlier as well in Matthew 4. Jesus has done his miracle at the wedding of Cana. He's led out to the wilderness by who? By the Holy Spirit. And this happens. Satan comes and begins to tempt him. Uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, physical bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what we should see from this, what the Bible's trying to tell us here is that there is a scriptural distinction between physical bread and spiritual bread. Our physical bodies are sustained by physical bread. Our spirits 
are sustained. Our spirits are nourished by spiritual bread. And that bread, brothers and sisters, that bread is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And we have both. We need both. We have Jesus in us and the Word with us. I want you to pick up a Bible. Grab one out of the pews. Just pick up the Bible. If you, if you got your Bible on your phone, that's fine. You could look at your phone. That's the Word of God. Listen, listen carefully. It's the Word of God. I don't care what translation you have. It's the Word of God. God, God uses this to reveal himself to us. And the revelation comes in and through Jesus Christ. And we need that that you have in your hand, we need that on a daily basis. The word is our spiritual nourishment. We have to eat it, we have to ingest it on a daily basis. So you know what happens? We starve. We starve. Now, preparing for this, I, I, I did some research. I, I, looked up, I looked up what starvation was. So it, we, we don't starve physically if we don't read the word. We starve spiritually. Now, amen. The word is our nourishment. If we don't have spiritual nourishment, we starve. And there are, let me tell you something, there are similarities between spiritual starvation and physical starvation. I think God kind of arranged this so that we would learn a lesson. God made our bodies in this beautiful and, and wonderful way, but without food, our bodies wither. And again, I think there's a lesson in this. Listen, let me tell you what physical starvation looks like. There, it comes in three phases. Phase one, the body burns fat to produce energy. Now, I know a lot of us would like to be in that stage right now after, after the holidays, okay? But if, if, we, if we continue not eating physical food, we go to phase two. And in phase two, the body begins to consume itself. It, it begins burning non-essential proteins first, uh, but it starts robbing the blood of its nutrients, robbing the body of its nutrients. And that stage can actually last for several weeks. It comes along rather slowly. And then, then it transforms into phase three. And phase three is it, the body begins to burn muscle to produce energy. It begins to consume its own muscle. And breakdown begins to occur at a cellular level. Organs begin to shut down. Here are the symptoms of phase three. The first one is apathy. And along with the apathy, that I, I really don't care anymore. Listen carefully. Along with the apathy comes a loss of appetite. You don't feel like eating. You realize that it's just not going to happen. And the brain kind of shuts down on you. You go from that. All I can think about is food to... You know what? I think I'm okay. Now, I'm not sure starving people are saying I think I'm okay, but they, they lose their appetite. And then, then there is withdrawal. A withdrawal from reality. A, a closing in on yourself. And then, there, there, then comes lethargy. Okay? I really don't have the energy to do anything. And then comes, listen, 
an increased susceptibility to disease. I want to give you a quote from one of the health sites that I went to. Few people die directly from starvation because they usually die of an infectious disease first. During the process of starvation, the ability of the human body to consume volumes of food also decreases. Not only do you not want to eat, you can't. You can't. You know, that's a tragic picture. But isn't that a picture of what happens to our spirits when we don't get a steady diet of the Word? We, we begin to derive spiritual energy from any source we can get it, mostly in self-destructive ways, ways that are not helpful to us. Eventually, we, we begin to utilize our essential spiritual components to satisfy ourselves, to give us some energy to get something done, until we begin to weaken. And then we get, then we get apathetic, and then we withdraw. You know, one of the great weapons that the enemy has against us is isolation, isolating us from the body. And, and that's what happens when, us, when, when we're not on a steady, steady diet of the Word. We begin to withdraw and isolate ourselves. We weaken. We become susceptible, not to disease, brothers and sisters, but to sin. To sin. And that's just a spiral that keeps going down and down. It's not, it's not the starvation that kills. It is the weakness caused by the starvation. You see, it's not the lack of reading the Bible that is going to defeat us. It is the resulting spiritual lethargy, the weakness and the proneness to sin that will get us. Now, you can read books about the Bible. You can read devotions. You can pray. Those are all good things. You've got you to ingest the Word. You've got to ingest the Word. What do we do about this? Somebody told me last year, John, you, you act like reading the Bible is the solution to everybody's problem. There's got to be more than reading the Bible. And I said, well, there is, but we've we got to get them reading the Bible. You know, I know what, how hard it is to read the Bible. I've been through that. I know how difficult it is to pick it up on a daily basis and develop a discipline. I know what it is to be in the middle of it and miss a couple days and figure, well, I might just close the thing up and I'll start again later. I know, I know how hard that is, but if we develop the discipline, if we feed ourselves on a daily basis, what happens when you don't? You get hungry. You get hungry. That's a sign that you need to go back. So... Read your Bible. <laughs> it kind of is the solution to everything. You know, we're, we're not going to get familiar with God. We're not going to get familiar with Jesus Christ. We're not going to get familiar with how to live our lives as Christian. We're not going to get familiar with how to put God on display and live the gospel out in the community unless we know the Word. I used to think that was easy. I used to sleep with the Bible under my pillow and think maybe it'll leak through. That doesn't work. Maybe hanging around with people that talk about the Bible, well, well, you know, that's a good idea, but that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to know his word. And brothers and sisters, we are coming to a time 
in the history of, of the world in which the church is going to have to know the word. Know what we believe and why we believe it. Isn't that what we teach in Apollos? We're going to teach you what to believe and why you should believe it. Not just I heard it somewhere or some pastor told me this or I saw it on a bumper sticker. So we're going to make it easy for you to read your Bible this year. Okay? And this is our first Sunday of the year. We always roll out the, the reading plans. I'm not going to get into a lot of them. We have a variety of reading plans on the website. If you go there and click on Daily Bread, it'll take you to a page that has a whole bunch of reading plans. There's read through the Bible in a year. There's a chronological plan, which I've done the last three years in a row. Uh, there's a, a uh, Old Testament, New Testament reading plan. Uh, there's a reading plan that will take you a chapter a day, and, and you get through the Bible in three years. Chapter a day is fine. Half a chapter a day is fine. Okay? But you got to start somewhere. So if you don't want to join us in our daily Bible reading program this year, that's fine. Go to one of those plans and pick it up and start reading your Bible. And give yourself an extra 10, 15 minutes in the morning before you leave the house to read some of your scriptures. Okay? Now, if you want to join us in our plan, we've got, we're going to go straight through the Bible this year, starting with Genesis and working our way through Revelation. It's called the can uh, canonical reading plan. Some people call it the straight through the Bible plan. We're going to use the ESV, the Bibles that you have in your pews. If you don't have a Bible this morning, take one of those with you. Um, you can go to the WBF site. There's a PDF available that'll print that out day by day. It's actually numbered one, two, three, four, but you'll be able to plug the dates in. Where's a hard copy that we handed out when you came in? If you didn't get one, get one on the way out. Uh, so there are a number of ways you can do that. And if, if all of that is kind of difficult and you didn't think about it when you left, email us and we'll, we'll send it to you. Uh, there are online resources you can use. You can go to a website called the Blue Letter Bible. Um, we've got the, uh, uh, the link there in your handout. Uh, that's also on the website. Uh, you have to have an account and sign in and create one uh, to be able to do that so they can track you. Uh, you can go to, um, there is a website called Bible.com that offers a reading program, an app for your phone or your tablet called YouVersion. We've got a number of people here on it. YouVersion has a canonical reading plan in it that will prompt you day to day what parts to read. Uh, so there are a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, you have to have an account with YouVersion as well. Whatever you do, Start. Let me just encourage you to start. We had a number of people last year that took Bible on CD or had it downloaded into their, their uh, smartphone and play it through their radio on their way into work in the morning. It's a lot better than listening to talk radio, a lot better than listening to music. Feed yourself. Find a way to feed yourself. If, you can't, if, if none of those things work for you, please come and see me. I'll help you. We'll go through it together. Two years ago, we had two young people here, uh, 11 and 12 years old, that thought it was a little intimidating to read three or four chapters a day. And I said, well, let's start with the book of Matthew. We're going to read one chapter a day, and then we're just going to email each other and make sure that we're accountable for it. So there are a lot of ways that we can do this. We want to be able to help you do it. But the, the plan for this year is the canonical plan. 
We're going to call the program Daily Bread, just like in the prayer. This is a way to get your daily bread. We're going to make it easy to do. We're going to send the readings out to the email group. Uh, there will be two lines in the email that you get. Our reading for today is Genesis 1 through 3. And right beneath that will be, if you'd like to read a summary and comments, we've got uh, daily commentary going on the Bible. I'm going into my third year on this. We've got a commentary on the entire Bible. And the commentary is geared towards looking at what God reveals about himself in the storyline of the Bible. So what I want you to do with that email is you don't necessarily have to read the commentary every day, but click on the link for the reading and do the reading. And then if you have time and you have the interest, go on and look at the commentary. The commentary will take you to my blog, and the blog will have another link for the daily reading, so you can do it side by side right there with, with uh, the commentary. And, there, and there, there are a bunch of links in there for each verse as well. So we're going to make this as easy as possible. It'll go up on the website daily. Uh, there's a logo on the website that looks like that, Daily Bread, that you can click on. It'll take you immediately to the blog. Uh, again, you can do the reading. I've had a few people come up and say, you know, I don't always read the Bible. I really enjoy your commentary. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. But that's not the point. Uh, You've got to be reading the Bible, not about the Bible. Uh, so if you have any questions on that, come and talk to me. If you have any difficulty with any of that, let's talk. You know, I've discipled a, a, a number of men that have told me they don't have time to read the Bible. I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your keys in the morning on your Bible, and before you walk out the door, open it up and read a verse. And then the next day, read the next verse. Let's start with one verse a day. Can you do that? And the guys that have agreed to do that have come back to me inevitably in, in, in a couple of weeks and said, you know what, this is pretty interesting. I started reading a chapter a day. So because a lot of us have been starved for a long time, we don't have an appetite. And it's hard to eat. Okay, what applies physically applies spiritually as well. So you might have to condition yourself. If you're a daily Bible reader, and I know many of you are, then just join us. Join us. And, you know, I, I would love to hear from you what's working on the commentary, what's not working, what made sense. Sometimes I get emails from people saying, you know, I, I don't know that you made a whole lot of sense on that one. That's really helpful to me because by the end of this year, I want to have a body of teaching that covers the entire, entire Bible, and then we're hoping to develop that a little bit further into a curriculum. So read with us. Read with us. I want to talk to you about a couple of personal things where we're going for the year. Last year, our overall theme was beyond the walls. We were going to move out of the church into the community. God bless you. You responded magnificently to that. Uh, and it kind of, last night was kind of an example of that. We gave away cookies and cocoa, and uh, we had people from first night coming through the church. We got a chance to spend time with them. We got a chance to talk to them. Kelly was actually doing tours of the church uh, one lady uh, who came when this was Warrington Methodist Church just stood in the middle and looked up. She goes, I've never seen that before <laughs> because we painted it and <laughs> all of a sudden it's visible. That was a great thing. We're going to continue that emphasis. But the emphasis for 2017 is going to do, have to do with the sovereignty of God. We want to talk about 
how sovereign God is. We want to talk about if God is truly sovereign, how do we react to the situations that we encounter in our life? The theme is going to be God on the throne. So you'll hear that popping up from time to time in the teaching. We'll talk about putting God on display and how we live our lives, our people seeing Christ in us. Uh, we're going to start out when we're done with the book of Joshua. We're going to go to Jonah. And we'll walk through Jonah verse by verse. We'll cover every verse in the book. And we'll talk about a guy who just wasn't happy no matter what God did. And from Jonah, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians and talk about a guy who's happy in spite of what God does. Paul's winding down his ministry in 2 Corinthians, and he has some very valuable lessons for us to teach. So that's going to kind of uh, set the tone for the next six, seven months or so. There are some other things we need to look at. Brothers and sisters, we need to finish the outside of the building. We, we, we need to go at that this year. The, the building is beginning to crumble around us. We did a really great job. Uh, we had some fantastic help in finishing about half of the building. The half that's most visible is the part that's done, and it looks great, but the rest of it needs to be done. We would like to finish the exterior of the building. We'd like to talk about reconfiguring the classrooms so that they can be more efficiently used. We'd like to have a children's wing uh, so that all the children move into one place at one time. Brenda's been talking about this for some time. We'd like to make those things happen this year. So as we progress through the year, we're going to be putting that before you. And, you know, we would ask you to prayerfully consider how you might be able to participate in that. The building needs to be finished, and we need to do something about the way we use the space. We're out of classroom space. That leads me to something a number of people have asked me. I turned 65 years old this year. I know, I know, I don't look it. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I'll pay you later, thanks. Yes. I've had a number of people come up and ask me if I'm retiring. I'm retiring. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I'm not retiring. Uh, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I got started late in life in ministry. I got called at 50 years old. Uh, I have committed the rest of my life to ministering the Word of God. I have committed the rest of my life to ministering the Word of God here at Warrington Bible Fellowship. I'm not going anywhere. You're going to have to drag me out of the pulpit. Somebody's going to have to hit me over the head and go, you know, you're just not making any sense anymore, John. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, I want to minister. I want to teach. Uh, I want to preach. Uh, I want to disciple as much as I can for as long as I can. Uh, I don't know how many more years the Lord has given me. When I got called, I, I okay, Lord, you're calling me at 50 years old. I'm going to ask you for 50 years of ministry. I don't know if he's going to answer that prayer. I would love it if he did. I'd love to be active to 100 years old. I've got to be honest with you. Right now, I'd be happy to be active for another five years. <laughs> so so uh, I don't know what the Lord has in store, but whatever he has in store, for me, it's going to be here. Just keep that in mind if anybody asks you, if anybody brings it up, because I know these things kind of, uh, I had three people ask me the question yesterday. I know that kind of floats through. No, I'm, I'm not retiring. I have no plans to retire. I'm, I'm here until the end. And my goal uh, as we continue to move forward is to raise up leaders so that when I have to step aside from leadership, there'll be a smooth transition. Warrington Bible Fellowship has had four senior pastors. Every time we've had a senior pastor, we've changed directions radically. We're not going to do that anymore. 
we know who we are. We know where we fit in the body of Christ. We are one of many churches in the area that are part of the body of Christ. We know what our role is, and we want to be able to maintain it. So we want a smooth transition sometime in the future, five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever the Lord allows us. Um, now, that leads me to another subject that I'd like to open a discussion on. Kelly and I went on sabbatical in 2010. It was life-changing. Uh, I was working 70, 80 hours a week before we went. When I came back, I, I, it took three months for me to settle down, to look forward and say, well, what are we going to do for the next 10 years or so? How are we going to do this? And that was restorative. We literally sat on a beach and watched the waves come in, and we did some touring. We saw some great biblical sites over in Greece. It was a blessing. I came back with a new vision for how to go forward. We re revamped the staff. We revamped the responsibilities. I came back in, in light of the fact that I could no longer work 70 or 80 hours a week. I just don't have that stamina anymore. And we cut back to 50 hours a week. Now that, that had ramifications in the rest of the staff. There were some other changes that occurred because of that. The elders have agreed to give me a sabbatical every seven years or so. Seven years year of rest, but I'm not going to take a year off, but I, I am taking three months, August, September, and October of this year. Now, financially, the church is not in the, the shape it was back in 2010, so most of it's going to be self-funded by Kelly and I. But I, I, I just need you to know, because people ask me, what is sabbatical for? What do you, what do you got a three-month vacation? What do you, you know, why, why are we doing this? Okay. Let me speak for Scott and myself and just give you an idea how our week goes. Now, this is not a complaint because uh, he loves his calling as much as I love mine. It's a privilege and an honor to be here. It's a high honor to be invited into your lives, to be able to sit and talk and cry with you and, and laugh with you and, and enjoy the blessings and, and walk through the dark hours. But here's how our week goes. Uh, I preach on Sunday mornings, I, I, two services, we go home Sunday afternoon. We usually stop at Five Guys and have a hamburger. Come on down. Join us someday. Maybe take a short nap. We come to uh, the gathering led by Bill Schwecki. Where's Bill? Right over there. Uh, usually on Sunday nights. Sometimes I lead that. But I go home Sunday night, and I put away my files from the week, and I open up new files. And I arrange all my documents for next week's sermon. Monday's my day off. I, I don't come into the office on the day off, but I do spend that day immersed in the passage, looking at the passage before, looking at the passage after, identifying keywords, identifying the theme of the passage, just kind of soaking the passage up and making a few notes. On Tuesday morning, I've got an appointment. I try to spend some time with individual members of staff on Tuesday. Uh, on Tuesday night, we have the elder meeting. Wednesday morning, I've got a couple of appointments. We usually have staff meetings on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, there might be an appointment or two every two weeks or so. Thursday morning, I have an appointment. Thursday nights now is taken up by Apollos every other week. Sometimes there's an appointment on Thursday evening. Friday morning, I have an appointment. And Friday afternoon, I start writing down all the things I've been studying in between all those other things that I've done during the week. So Friday and Saturday are devoted to trying to bring some clarity to the sermon. So the capability to get away and slow down and pray for the congregation, 
pray for me and Kelly, pray about the direction we're going in, praying about how God would have uh, us do this, doesn't come up very often. So we, we do get study breaks from time to time. But Scott and I are always engaged. We're engaged 24 hours a day. If we're not writing the sermon, we're thinking about it. If we're not writing the sermon and thinking about it, we're doing some counseling, we're doing some developing. Uh, and again, this is the great joy of our lives. Uh, this is the great privilege that we've been honored with, but we need a break from time to time. That's what the sabbatical's for. Scott will be coming up next year. This year he's going to spend some time looking at a, a class that he'd like to take. Uh, but the sabbatical is that time to rest, to recuperate, to get our heads about ourselves, and to figure out how we're going to go forward. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm at that age where I, it takes some thinking. I've got to consider how I'm going to use the resources God's given me over the next five, seven to ten years or so. We were blessed by the three months we had in 2010. We're going to be blessed again this year. Let me tell you what, what's been laid in our laps, and you know we're pretty excited about it. Uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, where we were going to go, and, we, and Kelly had some really good ideas, and we were getting excited about them. I uh, met with my ordination coach, my mentor, uh, at the district conference in October, and he was sitting there and said, I just got back from sabbatical. And I said, oh, how often do you get yours? He said, every seven years. I said, how long do you get? He said, six months. I said, six months? <laughs> he said, well, I do writing for three months, and then I get a three-month sabbatical. I said, oh, well, that's pretty good. I said, where'd you go? He said, France. Right. Now, you know, I know him well. He's got a church in Annandale. The, I, I said, well, how, how did you afford to live in France for three months? He said, oh. I met these people that have a manor house in Brittany that is there to serve pastors who are on sabbatical. He said, that's all they want is pastors who are on sabbatical in the off-season. I went, ah, oh, how much did I run you? He said, about $100 a week. <laughs> I said, oh, gee, okay. And he said, there's only one stipulation on on going there. I said, what's that? He says, I'm allowed to share it with one person. Okay? And, you, and that person cannot tell them who these people are, or give their address or anything, but I'm going to share it with you, John. So we contacted the people, and they would love to host us in September and October of next year. Uh, so we're looking at transportation over there. We're looking at transportation back and minimal cost of being away. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to live a lifelong dream. It's an opportunity for us to slow down. I asked for two things when we talked about sabbatical this year. I said, what I want is I want a place to stay and I want connectivity. Uh, I want, because uh, last time when we were in Greece, we stayed in touch with everybody. We were blogging on a daily basis about where we'd been and what we'd done. Uh, so that's our plan. The sabbatical start in August. We'll transition to France in September and October. We'll come in at the end of October and then share with you what we learned while we were gone. I'd like to just keep this discussion open. Uh, I know there are a lot of questions about it. Uh, please, if you have questions, come and talk to me. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee. We'll go over it. Uh, so we'd like your input on this. We'd also like your support and your prayerful support. So that's what we're looking for next year, brothers and sisters. God on the throne the whole idea of the sovereignty of God 
sometime within the next month and a half or so, uh, we'll tell you what Scott will be preaching while I'm gone uh, and how we will fill the spaces in there and give him a break from time to time. Uh, but we're excited about what God's doing with the building. We're excited about the new faces that we're seeing. Uh, we're excited about the support that we're getting. We're, we were excited last night about the impact we're having on the community. Uh, and the, the people are coming in saying, gee, this is really great. So we were able to sit up here and talk with a couple people. I was able to pray with a few folks that I didn't even know. Uh, and that's what the gospel is about, isn't it? Sharing Jesus Christ. So uh, last night was Jesus Christ and a cup of cocoa and a cookie. And uh, the community showed up. So if you have any questions, please come and see me. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's pray.